Hi, this is Feed, Play, Love, the parenting podcast that you can fit in your pocket. Short, informative and interesting interviews about everything from toilet training to how emotion coaching works. I'm your host, Siobhan Hunt. The next interview is one of the diamonds from our archive. Enjoy. Do you have a runaway account? Apparently, my mum did. In fact, she probably still has one. It was an account where she squirreled away money, even when she wasn't working, just little bits here and there. And the basic idea was dad couldn't touch it. How we manage our finances as a couple can be a tricky thing, even when we have so many things that bind us together, like children. What happens if you used to earn your own income, then you're at home and dependent on your partner for money and you actually have to ask them every time you need it? How important is it to have money you can spend without consulting your partner? Or is that even realistic when your kids are young and every cent counts? Effie Zahos is the editor of Money Magazine. Hi, Effie. Hello, Siobhan. My first question to you. Do you have a runaway account? (laughs) (laughs) I have never had a joint account with my partner. How's that? How unorthodox is that? And how old are your kids now? Uh, I have a 15-year-old and a 9-year-old. Wow. Um, And never had a joint account. No, no. And look, how does this sound? I really don't know exactly what my husband earns and my husband doesn't know really exactly what I earn. I, wow, I am blown away by that. How, how do you manage all those payments that basically you're both needing to contribute to? I, I guess all you both use, you know, like the yeah. mortgage or the kids' exactly. school and, and fees. And that's what most people do ask. But look, I, I want to say up front that I'm not alone. As, as unorthodox as it sounds, what I've just said, I was really kind of reassured when a, a survey came out by finder.com.au. They're, now, they're a financial comparison site. And it actually said that one in three couples insist on keeping separate bank accounts. They did a survey and they said that, that the results show that um, about 40% of women in relationships actually refuse to merge money compared to just 32% of men in relationships. So, you know, I'm one of those 40% where I don't believe I have to merge my bank account. It's important to understand here that we're talking about bank accounts. I'm not talking about my investment goals with my partner. I'm talking about a bank account. These days, there are so many fee-free banking accounts. It doesn't make actual sense to, to combine it. There's no need to. There used to be a need to combine your bank accounts because of doubling up on fees uh, and making life easier. Now, because there's hardly any fees, if you're paying a fee on a bank account, you really have the wrong account because you know there's so many that you can get that don't charge anything. The question here that we should be asking ourselves is not about bank accounts. It's more financial goals. And that's where couples need to work together on and combine your financial goals. As far as you know, having a joint bank account, you can reach a financial goal with or without a joint bank account. And there's lots of merits why I think women and men do need some financial independence from their partners and keep some affairs separate. And you know, I've, when you were saying that, I just was thinking, actually, my partner and I, we don't have a joint bank account, but it's like, it doesn't even matter. It's like we think of our money regardless of what we earn as belonging to both of us and that's where I find that's where I find yeah. it really hard because he knows as soon as I've bought anything new and he, he's like what hmm. well does that mean that I can buy something you know whereas once upon a time 
we wouldn't think of our money as a joint thing, you know, it would be my mm. money and his money and we'd mm. both contribute to rent and whatever. But somehow along the line between getting married and having children, our finances just all went into the one thinking bubble, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you do. I think the most important thing is step one, you need to actually talk to your partner about money. You actually do. Once you're in a, a relationship, whether you like it or not, and I'm not saying you should lose your financial independence because then we can end up in a whole lot of problems. And I don't, don't even get me started about financial abuse because I've met plenty of women, and it is unfortunately more women than men that do fall into a relationship of financial abuse because all their financial independence is taken and they find that they've got no control over their money and in a lot of cases financial abuse is also financial power there's a lot of reasons why people fall into that situation so there's definitely merit in having independence but if you're going to progress forward financially you do need to talk about money together you need to take an action plan together and you need to know that the facts about sharing your money and there's a great website that I do it's a government site and I do I think I've talked about it before on your show it's called moneysmart.gov.au and it does have a whole lot of information information there about how do you talk to your partner? How do you set your same financial goals? Because if you're, you know, got two separate accounts and you're spending whatever you like and you're thinking, yeah, I'm earning this money, that's great. I'm paying the mortgage, that's great. And that's all you're doing. And you're spending all the rest of your disposable income. You will never get to kind of a financial freedom because you both have to say, okay, well, we've got a home together. Let's assume you've got a home and you're paying your mortgage. What's your next goal together? Is it to buy another investment property? Is it to put the kids, you know, if you want, through through private school when they go to high school? Or maybe it's a case of building up your super so when you two retire, you can draw it down. If you haven't talked about that, you can see how each partner is just going to keep on spending, spending, and you, you, you're not going to get anywhere together. Can I ask, do you have any thoughts on, and this is something that I've seen with my kids are young, that friends of mine who have been working and then they've chosen to stay at home with the kids and so Mm. they've been used to having their own income for Mm. x amount of years then all of a sudden they find themselves at home making sure that the house is running but in Mm. their mind they're not earning an income and they have Mm. to ask their partner for money do you Mm. have any suggestions on how you can negotiate that with your partner so that you don't feel disempowered when you're the one that stays at home Yeah, and that's a really good point. I mean, whoever's staying at home, whether it's the man or or the woman, do a quick calculation. You know, I know I I have someone that um, comes, you know, uh, and cleans my place every now and then, and they charge me $30 an hour. If you put that person that's at home running your household, and let's not underestimate it, it is a hard job because I've been there too when I was on maternity leave, (laughs) I can tell you which is easier. (laughs) If you pay them $30 an hour, you can see how quickly their wage is adding up. So a lot of people also can do this, maybe pay that person a wage just and that's their kitty money and that's what they can do as independence. Or if that doesn't work, then you do need some account whereby you can put the money in and they're in control and charge of that. I think both people need to be part of the equation and not just left to one. Finances should never be left to one person. And in that case that you just said, Siobhan, most people I find that then come out of the situation worse are the ones that left all their finances to their partner. And then when, when and unfortunately, you know, one in two marriages do end up with divorce and they mostly happen when the kids leave, not when they're young. It's quite interesting. It's not the seven-year itch. It's probably more the 17-year itch. <laughs> Once the kids are older, then, you know, the two people look at each other and think, gee, what do we have in common now? And, and most divorces happen then. If you've spent your whole 
17 years, say, leaving the finances to one partner, you do come out of it not having any financial kind of savviness and that's where real problems can happen. So it's a case, and I don't have an answer here because it's very personal. Do you pay that person some money? Do you have a kitty where they can draw money out without even asking you what that's for? It all comes down to that step one I said. You really do need to have a conversation about your money and how you're going to manage it. Effie, I just wanted to pick up on something that you mentioned earlier, which I find really interesting, is that idea of financial abuse or mm. the lack of power. Can you drill down into that for me? Because I'm thinking it can operate on so many different levels. So if someone else is in control of finance, that could mean they have control over everything from your mobile phone to a credit card. Is that right? Yeah, it does come from a, a number of places and I've been speaking to women who are or have been in, in this situation and if I can just stay straight up, there is a lot of help. If you're listening to us now and thinking, I know of someone or that is me, there is some help that you can get out there and 1-800-RESPECT is definitely a number that you should be calling. It's the National Family Violence and, and Sexual Assault number and that was 1-800-RESPECT. You've also got the Family Relationship Advice Line, you've got Lifeline and don't forget why women that's uh, women's information and referral exchange and these are all free help for people who are experiencing any type of financial abuse and it comes in number of forms it could be as simple as you know and you've got to realize if you've got a daughter or, or even a son but mostly it's women that find themselves in financial abuse it's signs like this if you know your daughter says look my boyfriend doesn't like when he doesn't have money to go to the pub so I pay all the rent and I pay the expenses that's getting into a situation where it's conditioning that person to feel like, well, instead of getting into an argument with my partner, I will just pay this. Or my boyfriend tells me he won't be able to get a car if I don't sign for this. Now, again, what you're doing there is known as STD. It's, it's a sexually transmitted debt. <laughs> if you are asked to sign documents on behalf of someone when you're getting no financial benefit out of it, then you could find out that they can, you know, drop you, leave you, and then you're stuck with the car repayments. So there's a lot of ways that you do get into financial abuse and in a lot of cases it comes about by unfortunately the other partner wanting some control it's a power hungry trip that they're on and this is the way for them to do it usually it's a case where you know they say you just stay home you do that I'll look after the finances don't you worry about that or you're not good at that you know don't worry I can handle all that Um, you know you're not good at money let me manage it for you which I can imagine is really easy to cede that to someone because I personally am not very great with finances and I hate doing it and if if my partner stepped in and went I'll look after that for you I'd, pro- I'd probably go sure of course so it's it's I can imagine it's quite an easy thing to pass off to someone else and absolutely and in the right hands you know that that's okay um you know if if that person doesn't want to do anything malicious against you but still I, I would never advise anyone to leave anything in the care of any you know your complete finance you need to know something about it and that really does leave you in a very vulnerable position but can you imagine that going into the hands of someone who is power hungry that has insecurities of, of their own this is a great way to fuel that because they really um have complete control over everything so you know they're the type of people where you have no personal bank account you've got no debit card or savings account everything is controlled by them and it leaves you in a very very ugly situation that's on the extreme example but let's say you have decided 
in your relationship that the other person does have more of a financial mind and you sort of mm. said, okay, well, I'll let you organise how we pay our bills and blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. How much should both of you be educated on what you're doing with your money in order to make sure you're, as you mentioned earlier, reaching the same financial goals? It comes back to communication. We don't talk enough about money because your goals won't happen if you don't talk about it. You are not going to retire wealthy or you're not going to retire on any kind of comfortable living standard if you don't talk about it and put an action plan in place. That's okay. If one partner is a lot more savvier than the other, that's great. Then they can make some investment decisions. They may know what shares to buy. They may know what exchange-traded funds to invest in. I always suggest that it might be worthwhile getting together and maybe speaking to a financial advisor or, or planner. In that way, you're both sitting at the same... Even if your partner is very savvy, great. doesn't hurt to get a check-up with some other expert and independent party to get their thoughts just to keep a little eye on what the uh, the other person is doing in your relationship. I feel like, um, you know, maybe I think we've spoken about this before, Effie, I think that there was a point in my maths or economics class where my brain just went, oh, I'm not, I'm not suited for this kind of stuff. And I just switched off. And it's only now as an adult looking at my family's future that I'm like, oh, no, I really have to get on top of this. And when you say get savvy, um, Am I right in assuming that one of the best places to start trying to educate yourself about this is Money Smart, the government website? Yeah, it is. There's lots of videos on there. There's a teaching site there. There's a section there just purely for women, actually, a women's toolkit, which I think is great. I've had a go at that. I think it's important to understand as a couple that you are going to clash with finances as well because you have different risk profiles. Some people, are, you know... My partner loves to take on risk, doesn't see that you know, an investment can turn sour. And I'm not such a big risk taker. So we do have conflicts. We do argue about where we're investing and what we're doing. So it's important to, to first of all, understand your risk profile. And again, there's some great risk profile checks online. Money Smart's got it. Even another site called Morningstar has a, a great uh, risk profile quiz that you can have a go. And then you'll know exactly, okay, well, I don't like taking taking risk, he likes taking risk, let's try and meet halfway. You know, finance isn't that hard, but we, you know, we, we tend to kind of make things a lot more difficult than what they are through a lot of jargon. So it's really just taking some time to read through it. And you'll be surprised that once you get into it, how exciting it actually will be. <laughs> I'm going to take your word on that, Effie. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with us today. Pleasure, pleasure. That's Effie Zahos. She's the editor of Money Magazine. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.